Hear the word of the Lord from Ephesians chapter 1, verses 13 and 14, and chapter 4, verse 30. And you also were included in Christ when you heard the message of truth, the gospel of your salvation. When you believed, you were marked in him with a seal, the promised Holy Spirit, who was a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance until the redemption of those who are God's possession, to the praise of his glory. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God, with whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. The Lord be with you. Great to be with you this morning and to study God's Word together. If you're new with us today, we're in the middle of a series on the Holy Spirit, the person, the power, and the presence of the Spirit. The Spirit of God stands right at the heart of this uh, text today that we've just heard together in Paul's uh, letter to the Ephesians. Now, all of this passage reminds me of the 4th of July, 1979. On the 4th of July, 1979, I... uh, landed for the first time at Heathrow Airport in London and caught a a train up to Oxford and then met up with a group of friends who were part of a summer mission team and went down Caxton Street to this block of flats that that was there at the uh, bottom of the road and for the very first time in my life laid eyes on Tony. And uh, wow. I said what Adam said when he saw Eve. He said, whoa, man, woman. That's that's where that word comes from. In the original Hebrew, that's that's how that works, just so you know. He's wearing a blue sorority sweatshirt and dark, dark navy and gold letters and a pair of blue jeans and some white tennis shoes, and I saw those eyes, and that was it. Uh, I was 19, she was 19, and... I knew you weren't really supposed to get married until you were around 25. God had mercy on me on that, by the way, because by the time I was 25, I was completely bald and she'd have never been interested. But um, <laughs> it's a different issue. But I remember, saying, remember thinking, well, I can't get married right now. I'm only 19. But when I do, Lord, I'd like one like that. That was my, that was my heartfelt, deeply spiritual prayer. <laughs> one like that. <laughs> well, we became good friends. And a year later, I very romantically, over the telephone, because she was back in the U.S., proposed. Isn't that nice? Over the phone. (laughs) Well, we did it the right way a few weeks later when I presented an engagement ring. And it's that engagement ring that's all about the Holy Spirit. Because the word that Paul uses in this text for the work of the Holy Spirit is a word that was used in the ancient world for an engagement ring. When the Lord comes to us and he says, you are my beloved and I am promising myself to you and I'm giving you this as a sign that we will be together forever. It's there in Ephesians chapter 1 where Paul says you're sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise, and then he says the Holy Spirit is the the guarantee. The guarantee. That's the word of the future redemption that is ours in Christ. In other words, the Holy Spirit is the person who brings the future 
into the present and makes that real for us right now. When you read the whole of Ephesians 1, those first several verses, you'll you'll realize that it's a giant run-on sentence that Paul has written. It would drive every grammar instructor nuts. He just explodes in this anthem of praise. Begins in verse 3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. And then he begins to list out those blessings that that God the Father did. Just as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world that we should be holy and blameless before him. In love, he predestined us to adoption as sons through Jesus Christ to himself. So he's got all these, oh God, thank you, you chose us. You've given us a destiny in Christ. And then he talks about what what the, the son does. The father's arranged all of these things in eternity past. But then he says, in Christ we have redemption through his blood, even the forgiveness of our sins. And so he starts praising the Son of God for all that he's accomplished in history. So the Father arranges and the Son accomplishes, and then he comes in this great Trinitarian anthem of praise to the work of the Spirit, and he says, and the Spirit, the Spirit takes what the Father arranged and the Spirit and the Son accomplished, and the Spirit applies it to your life. The Holy Spirit, when you heard the word of the gospel, the truth of the message of Jesus, when you believed, you were sealed with the Spirit who is God's down payment, his engagement ring of promise that you are the beloved of the Lord. The Holy Spirit takes what the Father arranged and the Son accomplished and he applies it into our lives right now, making eternity real and tangible in our experience this morning. When that happens, something goes off in our soul of wonder and worship. Here in this text, if you look at it again real closely, he says the Holy Spirit is the the down payment. That's a term from commerce. That's the way the word was used as well. It wasn't just a relational term. Here's the engagement ring of promise. It's also a term from commerce. The Holy Spirit is the, the earnest, the down payment. Now, you know how a down payment works. You make a particular promissory payment. You put this amount down, which is a promise about everything which is yet to come you know you're going to fulfill that. And if you don't, what happens to the down payment? You lose it. It goes away. It's gone. Can I ask you a question this morning? Can God lose himself? Well, no. Were the Lord, having started a work in you, to leave it, without completion? He would lose himself. Not you. And that's impossible. God gives himself to us. He is himself the down payment. The Spirit of God, the presence of the Holy Spirit in your life is the down payment. His presence with you right now is the portion of what ultimately will be the fullness of what we enjoy. In other words, everything we have right now that we experience of the Holy Spirit 
is simply a foretaste of what's to come. In the book of Jeremiah, that prophet who wept over Israel's sins looked down the road and he saw what was going to happen. He saw both the good and then he saw the fulfillment of God's promise that would restore God's people. And God said to him, listen to these beautiful words, I am watching over my word to perform it. I'm watching over my word. I'm going to bring it to pass. Paul takes that in his letter to the Philippians and he says, I am confident that he who began this good work in you will perfect it under the day of Jesus Christ. There are numerous times in our lives where we look at the state of our soul, where we look at our walk, we look at our path, and we wonder, man, I am such a disaster. Things are so bad. Am I really going to make it all the way to the end? How do I know? How can I be sure that I'm going to make it? You know, one of my favorite things to do is sit with couples as they're getting ready to to, to be married. We go through this premarital counseling. And one of the first questions I always ask them is, when did you know? When did you know that he was the one? When did you know that she was the one? Because in that answer is more often than not the answer to a question they'd been asking all along. How will I know? How will I know? And now they know. And there's a certain intangible dimension to that. It's not usually, I've only heard this on a couple of times, a couple of occasions, it was his 401k. (laughs) Only a couple of times. When I saw that, I knew he was the one. Now, usually it's not that. Usually it's something intangible, subjective. It's something that's in the soul that is indefinable. Do you know the love of God is much the same way? Oh yeah, there are objective riches that are ours in Christ. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing. We know those are real and they're ours. But Paul writes to the Romans and he says, The love of God has been shed abroad in your hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been made to dwell within you. You know the love of God that is for you, And you know the love that you have for God. And so when somebody says to you today, how do you know you're a Christian? There's really two answers. One is objective. I look not to myself, but I look away from myself at the promise of God. The scriptures say I am his. In 1 John, that apostle writing to God's people says, I have written these things to you. This is 1 John 5.13. I have written these things to you who believe on the Son of God that you may know that you have eternal life. What's my assurance based in? Is it based in my experience? Well, not first of all. It's based first of all on the written word of God, the promise of God. I sometimes meet people who aren't sure. They're kind of like, I don't know. Now, I got to tell you something about the way I grew up. I never grew up with this kind of Uh, morbid introspection? Am I one of the elect? Am I really forgiven? I grew up with a minister who stood at the front doing what you heard this morning. Every single Sunday, we confessed our sins. We are poor, sinful creatures, we said. And then the minister would stand up and say, in the name of Jesus, your sins are forgiven. And I always said, 
Excellent. That's great. Why are my sins forgiven? Because I feel like they're forgiven? No. Are they forgiven even because I believe they're forgiven? No. My sins are forgiven because Christ has died for my sins and pronounced me forgiven. So even in the moment when my faith is weak, His redemption of my soul is strong. We are not His because our faith is unshakable. We are His because our Savior will never let us go. And that's rooted in the written Word of God, the objective promises of God. But God, along with His objective written promises, sends the Holy Spirit into our lives to comfort us, assure us, tell us that we're His, to give us those, those moments. They don't always happen, but we sometimes experience it experience them, a kind of preview of coming attractions, a foretaste of the feast which is going to be set before us. That'll happen for us in just a few minutes when we come to the Lord's table. When we come to the Lord's table, here's the wine, here's the bread, which we take not only remembering what He did, but anticipating what's to come. For blessed is everyone who's invited to the marriage supper of the Lamb. This is not only a feast of remembrance, it's a feast of anticipation. That what God has started in us, He's going to complete. He's going to bring to its fruition in Jesus Christ. And we'll be gathered around a greater table and a greater feast, and we will dance in the house of Zion. I long for that day. How do you know that that day is your inheritance? The objective promise of God and the presence of the Holy Spirit. God's engagement ring. It's objective and it's subjective. Here's my promise and here's my spirit. I can't lose myself. I'm putting myself in you and what I've started, I'm going to finish. And then he uses a second word. It's a wonderful word. He says, having heard the word of the gospel, this is in verse 13, the the message of the truth, you were sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise. You were sealed. So you're not only, you not only have the Holy Spirit in your life as this deposit, this guarantee, the engagement ring. You have the Holy Spirit in your life as a seal. Now, what's Paul, what's Paul mean by that? We don't, we don't use a, a seal like that very much anymore. What is he talking about? Well, in the ancient world, Important documents were sealed. They were marked. Wax was placed on the document, and the insignia of the person with authority and ownership over that document was placed into that wax so that everyone could see who it belonged to and that it was authentic. That's the seal. In the book of Revelation, John begins to weep because he sees the scroll that's the whole of redemptive history. And it's got seven seals on it. And no one is worthy to do what? To break the seals, to open the scroll until the Lamb who we sang about this morning, worthy is the Lamb. That song that we sang this morning is in response to the fact that here's the Lamb, the Lion of Judah, who is worthy to take the scroll and open the seals. The seal could not be broken except by the one who was worthy to break it and open it up. And that same word is used about you. The seal is placed on your soul. The seal of the Holy Spirit is placed on your life. What does that mean? It means two things. Ownership and authenticity. Ownership and authenticity. If you're a believer in Jesus this morning, you are not your own. 
Your body is not your own. Your life is not your own. When Jesus Christ sends his Holy Spirit to dwell within you, that makes your body a temple of the Holy Spirit. Paul writes that to the Corinthians. He says, your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit. (laughs) Mine looks more like the shack. Okay, I get it. I understand. You'd like to trade it in for a mansion. All right, but here's the truth. The presence of the Spirit of God in your life means that your very physical body belongs to Jesus. You say, well, I gave my heart to Jesus. Good. Give your brain. Give your feet. Give your hands. Give your eyes. It's my body. I can do with it what I want. Oh, no, you can't. Not as a believer. We belong body and soul to Jesus Christ. One of the things which afflicts evangelical Christianity today is an ancient heresy called Gnosticism. I'll spell it for you later if you really want to know. And really what it does is it exalts the invisible over the material. And it says the material or the physical isn't important. All that's important is the invisible, the so-called spiritual. But that kind of demarcation between the physical, the material, and the spiritual is not in the Bible. The Bible sees the whole of life as spiritual. And the whole of our existence is being under the lordship of Jesus so that we belong, in the words of the Heidelberg Catechism, body and soul to Jesus Christ. Our tongues belong to Jesus. That's why James says blessing and cursing shouldn't be flowing both out of the same mouth. Our eyes belong to Jesus. Our hearts belong to Jesus. And that's why everything from sexual ethics and our practices and human sexuality to the way we conduct our business, to the way we treat each other. All of these things are spiritual. These very physical things are spiritual. When you and I realize that, when we realize the Holy Spirit has marked our lives as belonging to Christ, then we will no longer look upon our path in the world as something by which we are trying to be fashionably fitting in. We're never going to fit in. Now, some of you are cool. Cool got up and left me years ago, all right? So I'm not even worried about that. But there's a pressure that says, conform to this age. Be like everyone else. Fit in. Get to the cool kids' table. But for Christians, for Christians, while we are in the world, we're not moving away from it. We're in it. But we're not what? Of it. We will always be out of sync with the spirit of the age. This means on everything from the way in which we conduct ourselves towards each other, towards those who don't yet know Christ, the way in which we think about relationships like marriage, the way we think about the future and death, all of these things are controlled by Jesus Christ. That's why for us, we can say to live is Christ and to die is what? Gain. Who can say such things? We only consider death in this age to be lost, but not believers. Why? Because our bodies belong not to ourselves but to Jesus. We're sealed with the Holy Spirit. Here's the other thing, authenticity. 
Ownership and authenticity. That seal says you're his. You're his. His mark is on you. When we stand over here and we do a a baptism, whether it's here at the font or out in the river, the water flows over the person's head and the sign of the cross is made upon them. And in that moment, the Spirit of God hovering over the surface of the waters is marking that person as belonging to the Lord. You're mine. The Holy Spirit is being given to you. The Spirit is moving and taking you and saying you're mine. The Holy Spirit is the authenticating mark in a person's life that they're a Christian. You say, well, how can that be? It's because of these words. Jesus said, by this all men will know you're my disciples. By the way you love 